Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome back to the Leaving Eden <laughs> Podcast. It is the summer of Satan. Hail Satan. <coughs> uh, uh, uh. I can't do that for an entire episode. No. Thank goodness. <laughs> Welcome back. Pride Month is over. This is the Leaving Eden Podcast. My name is Gabrielle Hakoen. I'm here and with my beat. You go. <laughs> and I am cult expert, cult survivor, and also survivor of whatever that was that Gavi just did, Sadie Carpenter. <laughs> yeah. Um, it is, we, we've finished with our Pride Month content, which was a whole lot of fun. We absolutely loved doing it. Um, and now it is in into the summer. June is over. It is into the summer. And we have, uh, Sadie had this fantastic idea where we would spend a lot of our episodes in the summer talking about satanic panic and she colloquially uh, uh uh named it the summer of satan and it's kind of catchy don't you think i think i think it is i think we're gonna have a fun time we're gonna dig into a lot of satanic panic related topics that we maybe have referenced on the show but not had time to fully dig into and today we are starting with a biography of mysterious reclusive hate-filled apparently comic book artist jack chick yeah um so we've done episodes in the past about chick tracts um which are the the most widely published comic books in the world actually jack chick is apparently the most widely published author in the world because of the proliferation of of his comics that's so unfortunate it's it, it truly R.I.P. the world for <laughs> um, 
no, but it's, it's truly insane. Um, that fact but uh we've also talked about his uh his his comics that he wrote like the actual comic books that he wrote uh namely the beefy boys for jesus aka tim and jim the 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 crusader comics and we also talked about his relationship with notorious uh insane person and conspiracy theorist john todd but now we're actually talking about the man himself and this is quite interesting i just want to note uh that john todd's mental state or mental illnesses that he may or may not have had are not what makes him a bad person um his grifting and conspiracy theories and uh also his assaults of people are what make him a bad person because lots of people have mental health struggles and are not bad people Uh, sadie uh read a biography of jack chick and we found some other news articles and and some other like deep dives or attempted deep dives into who this guy was just because he's kind of mysterious he's kind of shadowy but before we get into it the leaving eden podcast is the podcast about my bff and co-host sadie carpenter's life in and escape from the independent fundamental baptist cult the cult in which she was raised we talk about this cult we talk about other cults we talk about religion we talk about fundamentalism we talk about the real and present threat the cults and cult ideologies pose to society as a whole and it is our goal to promote freedom of mind freedom of thought and freedom of religion so if you like our show if you're a fan of our show then there's a few things that you can do to support us and Number one, join our Patreon. We have exclusive content up on the Patreon. We have some exclusive episodes. Plus, every episode that we upload is is extended for the patrons, so there's a longer version on there. It's uncensored. There's no ads on it, so you can check that out. Also, you can join our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus, our subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. Um, you can get some of our merch. Um we had a bunch of people get our pride merch and we uh are are really excited about that because the proceeds from all of the pride merch go to a a good cause they go to support the lgbtqia2 plus community um and also uh we have some new summer of satan merch that's coming out about now and so you'll be able to get that if you're at all interested in that um anything else before i thank the patron sadie I think that's it for now, but keep your eye on this section because we may have something pretty big to announce in a couple weeks here. Yeah, it's it, it's pretty exciting. We're we're super pumped. Um I just need to thank the patrons. Uh so we have three I gave it all tier patrons. Um now I, I should point out that the two that we had before, Kathleen Moncrief and Melissa Mosley, you guys are still amazing. Um but we have a new one and this one's actually a little bit special is is madeline antrim your wonderful husband has gifted you and i gave it all to your pledge subscription to uh to to the podcast um and so you should thank your husband but madeline antrim thank you so much you're a wonderful wonderful supporter of this show and we love you as well isn't that amazing that is incredible yes um how sweet how how truly sweet you're a uh, madeline antrim you are a cult survival survivor and all cult survivors are an inspiration to us all so 
that's all I needed to say. Everybody who's gotten out of fundamentalism, if you're a listener to the show and if you've gotten out of fundamentalism, then you are an inspiration to us. Hooray. Um, our Faith Promise Missions tier patrons, your names are Alex P., Alicia Guild, Ali Allen, Anisha Patel, Ashley Doxtater, Brooke Tolly, Krissa, Crystal Patterson, Dear Ethan Hansen, The Musical, Dora J., Eleanor Donahue, Enchanted Fairy, Esther M., Hannah Ross, Hope Norum, Horton Hears a Shane, Janine Collin, Jen Kaharski, Jessica Tambo, Jonna, Kat Henwood, Kay Turwee, Kitty Kate. Oh, that's cute. Kitty Kate. Aren't the, aren't the Katie Cats the name for Katy Perry's fans? That made me think of that. Kristen Marie, Linda Morgan, Lindsay Goss, Lorena Watson. Oh, also Madeline Antrim is on here, um, but wonderful. Madeline Cusick, uh, Marlena Stuve, Marsha Millard, Mary Williams, Mary Martin, Megan Arendt, Rob the Methodist, Sarah Reese, Scooby Sleuth, Stephanie Johnson, Steve and Amy. Thank you so much, Steve and Amy. They are our new uh, Faith Promise Missions uh, patrons. So thank you so much. Susie, Tara McNamara, the Loch Ness. I, I wonder if that. Uh, oh, so we have a dinosaur in our Patreon. <laughs> Were they <laughs> planted Ender in our Patreon by Satan to convince us that evolution is real? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's clearly what happened. Tiffany Enderby, and as always, Wes the Cowboy. Thank you so much, our patrons. You are wonderful, and you give us life. Thank um, you so much to not only our I Gave It All tier and Faith Promise Missions tier patrons, but to all of our supporters over on Patreon.com, and to everyone who supports us in different ways, such as letting friends and family know about our podcast, downloading episodes, sharing us on social media, and everything else you do to support our show. Thank you so much. Sadie, hit us with that TW for today's episode, and then we'll get into the show. Oh, boy. In general. It's a lot. It's a lot. I won't. I'm not even listing everything in this description because it would be too long. In general, we talk about a lot of potentially triggering topics on this show, including but not limited to suicide and mental health, racism, misogyny, PTSD, PTSD symptoms, child abuse, mental, physical, and sexual abuse, and spiritual abuse, including guilt, shame, and fear. In most episodes, we'll mention at least a few of these topics. We avoid any graphic detail unless it's relevant and needed for the story we're telling, and we will give you a heads up before we get into that kind of detail. This episode in particular contains general trigger warnings for satanic panic, hatred of Catholics, LGBTQ people, and Muslims, and threats of hell. We are also going to have some brief mentions of sex trafficking. It's very brief, and I will give you a heads up before that comes up. Thank you so much, Sadie. Um, basically, if Jack Chick screamed about it, we might be talking about it. So, But Jack Chick, when we look at people who are superstars in fundamentalism, we're used to seeing ministers who, for lack of a better word, I think they, they peacock their piety in front of crowds of hundreds or thousands of people. Um, you know, the Bill Gothards, the Jerry Falwells of the world, the, you know, the televangelist types, the grifters who are obsessed with gaining 
fame and fortune and and they love to have people fawn over them you know the, the real cult leaders of the world mm-hmm. that description doesn't describe jack chick at all jack chick very much is uh, he's he's like the exception that proves the rule almost to this trend of an extreme de- it's it's like to an extreme degree in that he never appeared in public he never gave interviews and there are only like a few known photographs of him both of, and both of these photographs are from like more than 70 years ago so despite reaching a level of worldwide success that somebody like jack hiles could only dream of nobody even hardly knew what this dude looked like until his authorized biography was published after his death in which there are tons of pictures of him it's so fascinating yeah it's it's truly fascinating so um we were talking about we were talking about like how we want to frame this episode and we're going to spend a lot of time talking about like what specifically he said, you know, what his life was like, but we want to ask why he was so reclusive because that is such a weird anomaly in the world of fundamentalism. And I have a couple of theories. I would love to hear your theories. So my first theory about why he was, recl- and we're going to get into greater detail of all of these theories and, and the details that, that, that go behind them later in the episode. But number one, he claims that the Jesuits wanted him dead and that he was on their hit list. So he would like, he was recluse, reclusive because he didn't want to open himself up to like getting killed or something. Number two, Robert Ito uh, is a, um, wrote for, for LA magazine and he did a sort of profile on Jack chick and, and a sort of like report on Jack chick. Um, but never actually interviewed the man himself. Robert Ito did a lot of research and he believed that Jack Chick wanted to be a big public figure due partially to the fact that Jack Chick wanted to be an actor when he was a young man, but that Chick must have felt guilty about desiring that and that he believed that self-glorification was not godly. And there's a third theory, which is mine, is that he often associated with people who were criticized quite heavily such as um as we've mentioned earlier john todd or as we're going to talk about later in this episode alberto rivera and essentially if you appear in public then people are going to ask you about the things that people have said about you and people are going to to really maybe possibly hold your feet to the fire but if you never appear in public and you never give interviews and you never address any criticism of you ever in your entire life, then you don't have to answer for any of it. So you can, it's basically, you know, you just walk into a room, you make a bold claim, you refuse to elaborate, you cash your check and you leave. I suppose that he did acknowledge that the Catholics weren't too happy with him, but that would stand to reason because he claimed that the Catholics were evil and in league with the communists and the Illuminati. So there's like layers to this. These theories become really interesting when you read his authorized biography the biography is called you don't know jack and it's by david w daniels who worked with Mm. jack chick extensively for years and this is the the biography that includes tons of pictures of chick even though he rarely allowed photos to be published in his lifetime this is very much like the fundy authorized version of it yes this is like the the state media yes (laughs) um (laughs) this is possibly and I hate I hate to criticize an author's work this hard this um 
I'm almost hesitant to give my real opinion of this biography, but I think I'm going to do it anyway. Um, the Don't hold back. The facts <laughs> seem to be correct, but this is the worst organized biography I have ever read. So it's a it's a very it's that bad. It's a very long complimentary eulogy mixed with an attempt to vindicate anything that may have ever appeared to be a misstep on Chick's behalf and a sob story about the personal tragedies in Chick's life and it's all mixed together and it is not chronological at all. The the sob story parts I'm excited to get to because it seems like they often informed his comics. Like the things that he fearmongers, this will happen to you if you don't listen to God, are often things that actually did happen to him, which is interesting. Yes, that is very interesting. And so because Chick was a such a recluse, a lot of our bio biographical information, dates and names and things, are going to come from this book. The writer clearly knows what he's talking about. I believe that he really did work with Jack Chick. I have external sources that prove that he really did work with Chick. Also, his phrasing and vocabulary are clearly very much influenced by Chick. It has a chapter about the biographer meeting Chick. And then it eulogizes Chick, and then it goes on an extensive defense of Alberto Rivera. Then it talks about Chick's high school years and how he met his wife. And then it skips back to his time in the military, which happened before he met his wife. And then it skips back to his childhood. And then it skips to what happened after the military. And then from there, the rest is kind of chronological, except for the last chapter, which is about all the pets that Chick owned throughout his life. The last chapter of the book is about Chick's pets? We'll get there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, see, when you told me when you were reading this book that the stuff about Alberto Rivera was right at the beginning, and we'll talk about Alberto Rivera in a little bit. Um, I assumed that that was like getting ahead of the story, almost like damage control. But really, like what, from what you've just told me, this just seems like it's so disorganized that they could have put any chapter in any order and it would have made just as much or as little sense as it. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, that's very much my opinion of this. So I have gone through <laughs> and made my best attempt to put everything in chronological order so that it will be more understandable to us. Let's dig into his life story and see what we can find out about the mysterious Mr. Jack Chick. All right. So Jack was born in 1924 in Los Angeles to Thomas and Pauline Chick. The Chick family wasn't completely irreligious, but they were not fundamentalists. Uh, his mother's side was Catholic. His dad's side was Protestant. From what I gather, they weren't the kind of people who spent a lot of time worrying about their own salvation, much less the salvation of other people. Very quick content warning for abortion here. We're going to pass right over it. The book, You Don't Know Jack, claims that Jack was an unwanted pregnancy and that his mother actually attempted several times to perform self-managed abortions while pregnant with him. He blamed this for his lifetime hearing problems and problems with his ears. It seems like his relationship with his mom never really recovered from whatever happened between them both before his birth and in his early childhood. Chick enjoyed, mm -hmm. he had a, a slightly better relationship with his dad. He enjoyed acting in high school theater, and he was pursuing an education 
in theater and acting after graduation from high school at the Pasadena Playhouse School of Theater. Other notable alumni of the Pasadena Playhouse School of Theater include Gene Hackman and Dustin Hoffman. Oh, so it's legit. Yes. His plans were put on hold, however, when he was drafted in 1943 and served in the military during World War II. According to this book and other sources like the Chick Comics website, his time in the military was formative. He did pick up habits like cursing and smoking from his army buddies, but he was shocked by some of their other activities like drinking and visiting sex workers. There's a particularly vivid story in this book about young Jack being the designated driver for a group of buddies who went out drinking in Japan, and then they had him drive them to a brothel. And he said, quote, the most beautiful young lady I had ever seen came out of the brothel and asked him, quote, do you want me? But he was so horrified by seeing the effects of STIs on other people in the military and so terrified by the films that the army had him watch about STIs that he turned her down flat. Wow. Does that, have we heard this story before? Yeah. Where was it? I was this, know. um, this is like a, the reverse Peter Ruckman. Yeah. I thought it was in Peter Ruckman's story would have just been like, and I told her absolutely let's go. And I had sex with her and like 80 other people. Right. That's the Rockman version. And then I found, but that would, but he wouldn't have said I, he said, he would have said the boy, the boy. did it, like the boy. So I thought this was in, I thought this was in the Satan Cellar by Mike Warnke, but I skimmed through the section huh. about his military experience and I just couldn't find it. Like who else, who else's story did we read where it was like, oh, I was... A really bad guy and then i got in the military and then i found jesus it was just warnke and ruckman right well who else was in the military but jack hiles was but he didn't do any of that stuff when he was in the military i don't right think, no he? i don't have it was in a book that i read for this podcast and i really was not finding what i needed was it lester roloff no it was this is in a biography that i have read for the podcast and the, the most recent two that I've done were Ruckman and Warnke. Somebody is going to remember this and they're going to send us a message about it. And we're going to like, oh my God. Yeah, facepalm. And we're going to feel really stupid. It's like the same because somebody was in Vietnam. This was, that was Warnke who was in Vietnam and like had a really, really tough time and got really burned out by it and kind of gave up on the jesus thing for a while and then got came home and got back into jesus that was warnke yes but i'm just not finding this exact story this you know this really beautiful sex worker propositioned me and i turned her down that does sound like something that mike warnke would say though yeah maybe i'm maybe it's just in a different section of the book and i haven't found it yet anyway if you remember this exact story i am convinced that this is not the first time we've heard this exact story after being discharged from the army jack returned to the pasadena playhouse where he met his future wife lola lynn priddle because chick is so reclusive he is able to conceal details and control the narrative about his life so it's hard to conclusively say to conclusively make any kind of speculation about his life. It does appear from 
what he officially allowed to be said about him, that he and Lola had an extremely mutually supportive relationship and were just truly supportive of each other's interests. But he didn't impress her extremely Christian fundamentalist parents when he met them. His smoking and swearing were a big problem for Lola's fundamentalist parents. So his brand new mother-in-law dragged him into the living room to listen to the radio show Old Fashioned Revival Hour with preacher Charles E. Fuller. And Jack Chick had his dramatic conver- Jack Chick had his dramatic conversion experience complete with falling to his knees and begging God to save him. After this dramatic conversion, Chick dreamed of being a missionary, but his his wife said no way because she had an aunt who was a missionary and had seen some sh- Chick knew that he did not want to be a preacher or an evangelist in the United States. The given reason is that he felt like he wasn't skilled with public speaking, which huh. doesn't make a whole lot of sense because his career plan was to be an actor. Maybe he felt okay performing from a script on stage, but didn't feel like he could speak his own words to other people. That's really interesting. That's that's so odd. So he hmm. he dreamed of being a missionary, but he also dreamed of being an actor. Or maybe it's like the thing where if you're an actor, you're playing somebody else. But if you're a preacher right. and if you're a missionary, then the story that you have to then your te- then your life has to be your testimony. Right. That could have been what tripped him up. But Chick was quickly disillusioned with the whole Hollywood scene. I want to read you this story from the book and let the audience decide what they think. This is uh, interesting. And just a quick CW, this story involves some um, like Me Too type Hollywood stuff. This story purportedly happened in late 1948 or early 1949 when Jack Chick went to some sort of casting like office hours with a producer at 20th Century Fox to see if either he or his wife could get an acting job in the movies. And I'm starting to read from the book here. The producer was busy with another man who obviously worked for him. The underling seems to have been a director. He was asking the producer about finding a job for a certain young lady. The director said, so what do you think? Pretty good, huh? The producer eyed her portfolio and looked at the man directly directly. Tell me, has she made the rounds? Oh yeah, she slept with about everyone in town. The producer eyed the director. What about you? Has she been with you? No. The producer closed the portfolio and handed it back. Okay, when she slept with you, then bring her to me, then we'll see if we have something we can put her in. Hmm. So the director is having this very crass and exploitative conversation about a young actress right in front of Jack Chick. And then the director looks Chick up and down, tells him they don't have any room for him at 20th Century Fox at the time. And around that time, Chick also realized that he didn't want his wife mixed up in this kind of shady industry. So he gave up on his dream of being an actor and told his wife that they were both giving up on their dreams of being actors. So Mm. we know that this sort of thing happened in old Hollywood. We know that this sort of thing happened in our lifetime. We know that this sort of thing still happens. Actors our age have come out with their Me Too stories of this happening to them. And I don't doubt that this still goes on. 
Yeah, I mean, this is literally how the entertainment industry has operated for decades. It's extremely exploitative, and there are some directors and producers who are notorious and they're famous for it. Mm-hmm. What I don't know if I buy is whether or not they're having this conversation in front of some rando off the street, aka Jack Chick. Yeah, so that's a red flag. They're having what you would think would be a confidential conversation in front of a random guy who is not in the industry at all, like in public. Also, another red flag is that Chick gets rejected by the director, but that's not the reason why he gave up his dreams of acting. It was the abuse and corruption. Like, that seems a little too convenient to me. Yeah, it seems like an excuse to me. It seems very, like... I would have gone pro if I hadn't blowed my knee out senior. You you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Exactly. I don't at all want to cast doubt on what we know to be true, that that kind of abuse happened then and still happens now. I don't know that I would even say, oh, Chick made this up. I think he's just spinning. Like he's putting a spin on something similar to what really happened. You know what this reminds me of? What? It reminds me, you know how Ben Shapiro wanted to be a Hollywood screenwriter Nepo baby? <laughs> right. But he couldn't find a job in the industry because he wasn't a good writer. And like, even with his parents' insider connections, he couldn't get any of his scripts made. But now he's like, well, the actual reason why I couldn't get a job in the industry is because they have a liberal bias. They have a bias against conservatives. And <laughs> You're, if you're a conservative, you just can't get a job in Hollywood and no one wants to hire you and you can't like that. He's doing the classic thing where like in, in like this given situation that he's making up. I mean, I don't want to say making up because it's entirely possible that this happens. Like, I don't think he made it up. I think he exaggerated something that did happen and then spun it. But the, it, it, given this, he's not the one who's the victim here. Even if he were the kind of guy who's like, you know what? I'm totally cool with women being treated as basically just literally objects he could like if you're just like a random guy and you walk in off the street into 20th century fox even in like the whenever he was in like the 50s or the 40s or 60s or whenever you can't just be like hi can i be an actor in one of your movies and they'll be like sure here you go you're acting uh with cary grant as his best friend in this new like that's no that doesn't happen (laughs) I think that's how Chick thought it happened. I mean, the, the, saying things like that, he, he, I mean, you can, he, you can't just go in and be like, Hey, I'm for, like, you have, you have like an agent and like, if you're from the Pasadena playhouse, you'll have connections and they'll have like seen you in something like you have acting experience and you'll have people that come to these things and you can be like, Hey, I want to represent you. Okay, cool. Can you get me in this thing? And you start at the bottom and you work your way up. Like, that's how even if he was okay with it he can't just go to 20th century fox and say can i be in your movie and they'll be like golly gee sure like yeah this this the only realistic part of this story unfortunately is the abuse on the part of the director but in this story jack chick is not the victim in this story that he's telling but he right there's this poor actress who is being exploited as she is trying to do her job and make a living and make a good life for herself right and the hypothetical actress that they're talking about is obviously the like but jack has to go and make it about him this is the- so <laughs> after giving up his dreams of being a hollywood actor because of the corruption not because he was rejected jack chick fell back on his other talent 
which was art. He got a job working for Aerojet General, which was one of many aerospace companies in California at the time. He got a job as a technical illustrator. So basically he was doing very complex technical illustrations of rocket parts, like for blueprints and or manuals or that sort of thing. Interesting. That's cool. Something that that civilians might have seen that would be similar uh, if your car manual has illustrations of like what's inside the door that makes the windows go down and back up. If you've ever seen a car manual that's got that kind of detail, that's what he was drawing, but for rockets. He also did some animation work for Aerojet General. He worked on a 1958 animation that showed how infrared missile detection systems work, and it actually earned him an award from the Industry Films Producers Association. He was also working on the side as a newspaper cartoonist starting in the 1950s. But we're going to actually circle back around to that in a minute. I just wanted to let you know for chronological continuity. After leaving Aerojet General, he worked for Astro Science Corporation doing the same career-type technical illustration work. While at Astro Science Corporation, he worked for George Otis, a Christian man who was friends with Bill Lear. That's Lear as in Learjet, by the way. Really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, George Otis encouraged Chick to find a ministry for himself and encouraged him in later publishing pursuits, even funding some of Jack Chick's early projects. Chick was working at Astro Science Corp when he published his first comic, his first religious comic, which was a 10 by 10 large format illustrated book called Why No Revival? So I read through a lot of Jack Chick's early comics. <laughs> And uh, so why I read Why No Revival. Thank you for doing that so I didn't have to. This was published in 1961. But basically, it's it, the comic is about all the things that are wrong in society and the reason why there is no Christian revival going on. It was critical of television, rock music, divorce, greed, self-righteousness, like all the things that the, the fundies are like, these are bad things in society. In 1962, he came out with A Demon's Nightmare. Uh, so that was his second I, was this the first one that he made in like tract size uh no the one this was your life so his third comic was the one that he made in the current two and a half by five inch size okay so a, a demon's nightmare wasn't in tract size um, a demon's nightmare i think was eight by eight inches okay so he's getting smaller um right but the, the the plot of this comic is that uh, an upstanding Christian sits down on a bench next to like a pot smoking beatnik. Like this is sixty two, so we're pre hippies. We're like beatniks is where we're. And at. he gets a great contact high, and they have a wonderful conversation about the meaning of the universe and all the things they have in common. Right? No, it's actually the exact opposite of that. Oh, is that man. like um. This Christian man sits down next to the beatnik, and I assume that like all of the highness like gets sucked out of this dude's body because of <laughs> it. like much to the grin, uh, the chagrin of the demons that are constantly watching this conversation play out on he on, on like TV in hell. This upstanding Christian man is able to convert this uh, pot smoking beatnik to Christianity. And the beatnik goes and like gets all of his beatnik friends to also join him. 
I guess. Neither of these tracks are very good, in my personal opinion. They're both obnoxious and self-righteous. Why No Revival didn't even really have a plot, right? It's just more of a, a judgy informational pamphlet about Jack Chick's opinions? It's like an infographic. Okay. And then A Demon's Nightmare is the first one where there is a plot. Like, it tells a story from start to finish. Yeah, and it's... And Okay, because that's where his career as a Christian propagandist really takes off. Right. I mean, it's it's not a good story, but there is a beginning, a middle, and an end. I, I, I mean, it's a long way from this to Jello Ashley. He had some growth to do. Yeah, and it, but it's here where he starts to like kind of put the pieces together. And so just two years later, in 1964, Chick uh, publishes "This Was Your Life," and this is the this is like the one that hits. Everyone, like if you know Chick Tracks, you know this is your life. Um, mm -hmm. So he puts it all together. He has a narrative that makes sense. Like there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. There's a clear message and there's a punchy delivery. It's it, like this was your life is, I, for those that don't, it's kind of like a bizarro world. It's a wonderful life meets a yeah. Christmas carol where there's this rich guy that dies and even as like the preacher over his grave is like eulogizing him and saying he was a good man, like an angel of God comes down and like grabs his soul and shows him that he was in fact not a good man, but instead he was a sinner. And despite all of the chances and, and like warnings that he had to save himself, he continued to be a sinner. And then he gets condemned to hell and cast into like a lake of fire. Side note, Jack Chick really likes drawing pictures of people being cast into lakes of fire that's like his his uh his, his favorite thing to do i guess that and hell tv yeah hell tv he loves hell tv which is i mean if we had to start a tv network how would you feel about hell tv see i can't because uh i grew up referring to hbo as hell's best offer so in my mind it's already taken really i mean the sopranos yeah. they have the sopranos the wire so i mean that's yeah, some of the best tv well, right, Gabby. That's how that's how Satan gets you. How about uh, we could call it DHS for double hockey sticks? We'll we'll workshop that. <laughs> <laughs> so you did you did mention that this was your life is a very similar sort of tale to It's a Wonderful Life, the nineteen forty six movie. I wanted to add context by letting you know that it's also got a lot in common with a couple different New Testament stories. You remember when we watched the movie, The Burning Hell? Oh, I remember The Burning Hell. You remember the guy, the rich man and Lazarus? There was a rich guy. There was a beggar at his gate. The rich guy thought he was all that. The rich guy died. The poor guy died. The poor guy went to heaven. The rich guy went to hell. I do remember this. And I remember that the, the poor guy's beard was like very clearly they like <laughs> got like, I don't know. It was like a like fur from the from <laughs> from the joanne fabrics or like the hobby i guess it's christian so they would have got it at the hobby lobby and they like glued it all over his it looked like like <laughs> black dyed puffballs like all, like in a ring yes. around his face like he was wearing right. a parka yes. um, <laughs> right that that movie yeah. <laughs> so th this uh this was your life is also referencing that as well as some other new testament parables so this was your life is definitely more of a story but it's a much broader story about a person's entire life condensed into like their experience immediately after death and that made it really boring as a fundamentalist kid because i wanted to read the later tracks that tell a story that like 
like a story that takes place in a week or a day or even a few minutes, like Bewitched or that one about the white carpet or the one about the burglar. Like those were more interesting through a fundamentalist kid's eyes. But this, but this one was like the hit. This one, by all accounts, this is the tract that put Jack Chick on the map and made him into a household name in the fundamentalist movement. Well, he he wasn't trying to write a tract to be interesting and shocking to, and horrifying to little fundy kids who weren't allowed to read Goosebumps. He was trying to write something to evangelize non-Christian adults, which is why right. different audiences. I just only experienced one of those. <laughs> And I think that th that that makes sense because they've in like the early sixties, maybe these Christian fundamentalists are trying to go out and evangelize and they're used to people kind of being like, no, go away. But then they get this tract mm -hmm. and they're like, this is a new method that we can use. And they'll like swear by it. It's like having a favorite recipe that you recommend to everybody. Right. So prior to the advent of gospel tracts in general, evangelizing was this kind of thing where you either yelled at people on a street corner or you tried to get somebody to sit down with you for two or three hours so that you could explain Christianity to them. And as you can imagine, this was not very popular with non-Christians of all types. No. So the advent of the gospel tract really changed things and brought about a resurgence of one, two, three, repeat after me, easy, easy believism, once saved, always saved salvation, which is what we see in the IFB soul winning tactics. So having a comic book that you could hand somebody and walk away was a real game changer. But crafting his storytelling skills wasn't the only revelation that Chick had between his first larger comic books like Why No Revival and A Demon's Nightmare and actually starting his company as it stands today. Chick also took inspiration from an unlikely source uh chairman mao yeah so jack chick originally got his idea to make little comic book tracts from a missionary who had returned from china chick had always been interested in cartoons as an art form as we discussed earlier but it wasn't until he met a missionary who had returned from a missions trip to the people's republic that he really put the idea together so the missionary told jack chick that chairman mao and the chinese communist party were very adept at using visual art and pictures to spread pro-communist propaganda, especially in the form of pocket-sized comics. And Mao was also, you know, famous for having the little red book, which was the ideas behind the the the, the Maoist uh, uh, Chinese uh, uh, communist movement, the the revolution in his pocket. But the missionary told. Jack Chick basically that the idea of having the little red book was extended to having little comics to hand out as well. So Chick figured that if the communists were using this technique, then Christians should start using this technique against the communists. And this was like a few years after McCarthyism, because McCarthyism was the 50s. Mm -hmm. Jack Chick was doing this in the early 60s. If you were like that vein of Christian in the early 60s, you would have been the kind to think that McCarthy had the right idea. Right. And to also come into this with the assumption that Christianity and communism are direct opposites and always in opposition to each other. Like the antidote to communism is Christianity. Yeah. And that was also due to the fact that the these communist revolutions were very much 
trying to athe- like uh, be be very anti-religious like officially like religion mm-hmm. is banned in those countries right and then on the other side of that coin you have christian nationalism and the rise of christian nationalism in the united states which led people to believe that christianity is not only a religious viewpoint or a religious practice but also a political viewpoint yeah why can't we just have neither why can't we just uh, i don't know black and white thinking is bad people and apparently so are black and white comics (laughs) (laughs) these ones these ones so before we get too far down that rabbit trail this is what inspired chick to shrink his comics down to the size that they are now why no revival was close to comic book size at 10 inches by 10 inches uh, and A Demon's Nightmare was originally published in 8x8, but he noticed that the Chinese propaganda comics were pocket-sized, which allowed people to carry them wherever they went. And the printer that he was working with said, hey, these will get 80% cheaper if we can make them in this specific size format. Interesting. And Jack Chick was like, great, let's do it. Because shrinking them to 24 pages and that exact, I think it's two and a half inches by five inches format, allowed uh, allowed them to sell the tracks for a nickel. That's so smart. Which made them more affordable to the consumer who w- wanted to buy them and pass them out to people. Right, and if you're a church and you're saying, like if you're a small fundamentalist church and you're saying we're going to send people out soul winning, you can't be spending a dollar a piece on a tract that would be insane spending a nickel a piece on a track you could do that right and even when i was growing up ifb my church would order plain gospel tracts like the ones that the rodriguez family print on their printing press and those i think we were able to buy for four cents a piece if we bought ten thousand at a time so we would buy that huge huge crate of tracts and then the pastor's kids, meaning me, would have to sit and fold them all. Oh. Which is why I'm really, really good at cutting and folding straight lines <laughs> without any kind of guideline for that. And and uh, we would also order smaller quantities of chick tracts, but we were always told, don't give chick tracts just to anybody because they're expensive. If you think somebody's just going to take your flyer and throw it away, give them the cheap one. If you think that somebody's actually going to read what you give them, give them a chick tract. So the printer that he was working with was named John Bow, and he had already set up his printing press to print something for Campus Crusade. And he told Jack, hey, if you can reformat your track to the same size as the Campus Crusade tracks, I can save you a bunch of money. That's, I looked it up in the book while you were talking. This is why I love when I have books for sources, because I can just look things up. And you're good at flipping those pages because you were good at sword drills. Yep. So in <laughs> so in the early 60s, Chick is making his early comics and tracts. He is also still working for Astro Science Corp. And he is also doing regular old secular comic strips, political cartoons, and things of that nature for newspaper publication. He is both freelancing as a cartoonist and also he's got a syndicated strip in the los angeles times mirror so chick and his friend bill clayton wrote this strip called times have changed 
which was very similar in concept to the Flintstones, it's humorous hmm. parallels between modern life and the Stone Age. So I have a couple things to say about Times Have Changed, actually. Number one, the promotional copy for this series is wild when it's read in context of who Jack Chick later became. I want to quote a bit of this. This is as published in his authorized biography with absolutely no qualification, no apology, none of that. Go for it. Through the use of an old cracked crystal ball and Ouija board left over from last Christmas, a dash of magic and a lot of inspiration, these boys have been able to go back to the days of the caveman. And what did Clayton and Chick find when they turned back the clock over a million years? Well, they found that things were a lot like they are today. Wild. Crystal balls, Ouija boards, magic, and evolution. And going back a million years. And a million years. Not 6,000. Right. Jack Chick in 1953 thought this was completely okay for ad copy for his new comic series. So it turns out that once the comic strip saw success, Bill Clayton abandoned Jack Chick to do all the actual work on Times Have Changed and kind of just lived off his royalties. The biography blames Clayton's abandonment on the fact that he was Roman Catholic and therefore didn't have the Holy Spirit in him to know that that was a bad thing to do. That's crazy. <laughs> so we're right back to on bridge. <laughs> But Chick was left, he's doing six comic strips a week for the newspaper. Man. Also, so it's it's like Monday through Friday and a Sunday comic. He's also working full time, freelancing, has a wife, has a young child, and is trying to print these religious tracts as well. That's insane. That's crazy. That's like, I mean, this guy's probably got carpal tunnel. He's got... Yeah. So he That's ended up nuts. breaking his contract with the Times Mirror for the comic strip Times Have Changed because he just couldn't keep up with all of it. Uh, and of course, the biography points out that he was unequally yoked and doing a secular comic strip. And this was because God wasn't blessing him because he wasn't working for something, something. The biography goes on to point out the success of the Flintstones and the comic strip BC, and the biography lightly accuses the creators of the Flintstones in BC of having stolen Chick's idea. That's really funny. That gave me a, a little giggle. That's a... <laughs> so Chick's star quickly rose among the fundamentalists. He appeared on Paul and Jan Crouch's television program in the early 70s when they were just starting TBN, Trinity Broadcasting Network. He appeared on several other Christian television shows. He was really starting to make a name for himself, and he had come up with the idea to publish the full-size Crusader comic books, better known to listeners of our podcast as The Beefy Boys for Jesus. Uh, I do want to note that hmm. the biography claims that Satanists set up Jack to perform badly on a different Christian talk show. Um, John Todd warned him not to go because the Satanists were going to be there and then like his tour guide was a Catholic priest and they like fumbled his flight and taxi combination so he had to walk to his hotel and then the host asked him questions on TV that he didn't want to be asked and that was evidence of John Todd being right and the Satanists sabotaging his TV appearance anyway. Did you watch any of these interviews or are they online? Can you find I wasn't them? able to find them. Oh, um, bummer. I may have just not looked hard enough, but I wasn't able to find any. Back to the Crusader comics, 
Did you know, Gavi, that Chick was not the actual artist for the Crusader comic books? Yes, actually. So we noted this in our episode when we reviewed several of the Crusader comics. We noticed that this is a different art style and a much more advanced art style than the regular Chick tracks. And we were kind of thrown off by that and trying to figure out why the art was so different. It's because he didn't draw them. Right, because we thought it was like very like black exploitation style. Yeah, like just really stylized the way he drew people was totally different. Like what is up here? It can't just be that he put a lot more effort into it because it's a full color comic. And we were right. It wasn't Chick. The comics were illustrated and some later Chick tracts as well were illustrated by the incredibly talented Fred Carter, who is a Black artist. Chick always claimed that Fred Carter just didn't want his name on the comics. Oh, he's a really shy guy. He doesn't want the spotlight. And besides, there are dangerous people who want to shut us down. He doesn't want the danger. It appears that Fred Carter only ever did one interview in his entire career in which he was very vague, very protective of any details about himself. He called his art a ministry, and he was a pastor as well. He did say in that interview that he reached out to Chick and asked to work for him, and he didn't say anything publicly that indicated that he was unhappy with the lack of credit that Chick gave for his work. Fred Carter is responsible for many of the most vivid and gruesome depictions in Chick comics and tracts, particularly those of the crucifixion. If you see like a super muscly, super bloody Jesus with a very detailed crown of thorns in anything published by Chick Publications, it's almost certain that Fred Carter was the artist for that panel. What I also learned in reading about these comics is that Tim and Jim in the Crusader comics were loosely based on Chick and Carter and that the Chick and Carter, like by all accounts, Chick and Carter were very good friends. Uh, like, and I know, I know we made a couple of jokes about racism in the way that Jim was portrayed and talked in the comic about, oh, like about the beefy boys for Jesus episode. That's one of the things we talked about. But I think that like knowing that this was actually drawn by a black man and that this was a guy who came to chick and said, I want to work with you. And, and they were actually like very good friends. It changes kind of the way that I see the situation mm -hmm. now. Um, so I think it is important to say that. I also think that it's possible that Chick and uh, his ministry maybe didn't want to put Carter's name on the comics because there was possibly a significant portion of his audience that would not have liked the fact that these comics were drawn by a black man. That's totally possible, but how would his audience have known? Entirely speculation. Entirely speculation. But how would Chick's audience have known? Right, just from what a name. Fred Carter's race was from his name. Fred Carter, that could be anybody. That could be literally anybody. So obviously with 2023 eyes, it's an incredibly bad look for a white man to completely erase a black man's talent and take credit for his work. Because those comic books are, are published with Jack Chick's name on them alone. Obviously, from, from our modern perspective, that is very, very bad. But asking ourselves, why would he do that? Did he do it on purpose because he wanted the credit? Did he think that he was, like you said, protecting Carter from other racist evangelicals? Or did he look at it as a business decision? Like, sorry, man, your work is fantastic. You're a good friend to me, but some folks are racist and we got comics to sell. It could have been any of those things. It's also important to note that Carter was the artist for the entirety 
of what Chick Publications calls the Black Tract series. In this series, hmm. storylines from tracts originally featuring white characters are redrawn and the language adapted to reflect entirely black characters and language that leans strongly towards AAVE. And these would be really easy to criticize if you thought that Jack Chick wrote them, <laughs> especially because in the Black Tract series, there is only one character that is depicted as white. Do you want to guess? Is it Jesus? It's Jesus. That's... Yeah, hmm. not good. I mean, go back to our What Did Jesus Look Like episode and you can... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> However, Fred Carter did also illustrate Sunday school curriculum for urban ministries. And in that curriculum, Jesus was, was depicted as Black, as were all other biblical characters. That's really interesting. So that's just a huh. further monkey wrench in this whole thing, because now we have to ask, was making Jesus white in tracks drawn for Chick a stylistic choice on the part of Carter alone? Or was this something that Chick told him that he had to do? Well, can you imagine if you were an evangelical and you got a, or, or like, like a fundy, like a white fundy? in the 70s or something and you got your hands on a chick comic and there were black people and it, it was like one of these black tracks and it said jack chick on the cover and it had black jesus in it mm -mm. that would that would not have flown i was a white fundy in 2005 and that would have caused an absolute uproar i mean that would have possibly caused people to disfellowship Absolutely. with jack chick and have. that would have been nuts because so much of their stuff is based on i mean this guy was like a, so monumental that, right but not lining up with their racism is plenty reason to cut somebody out completely yeah so and so again who who is doing it is it fred carter just knowing that this is not going to fly for his audience is it jack chick saying you've got to draw jesus as white because i believe jesus is white or is it Jack Chick saying, hey, man, people are racist. Like, we just we can't make money off of this. I think it's more along the lines of like that th they probably wouldn't have even had to have a conversation about it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I just I just think that if I, I, I doubt that that conversation would even happen. Yeah, because that, that it would have just been like an assumption. Yeah, we're, that, that Jack Chick is not putting Black mm -hmm. Jesus comics out there. Fred Carter was a person who was well versed in the white evangelical world at the time he knew his audience so there's i wish i could ask him uh he died fred carter died in 2021 i think or 2022 it would that would be something i would love to ask him like how did this go down and my final note is that fred carter's illustrations of jesus as a black man done for urban ministries have been cited in the book the color of christ as some of the best ever done that's so interesting which just does not surprise me because he was incredibly talented yeah no one has any uh issues with fred carter's oh, the quality not. of fred carter's work it's the, it's the <laughs> yeah. subject matter that <clears throat> mm is kind of so had very kind words to say about carter this is something he wrote in a 2011 newsletter the, there's some racist overtones in this quote i'm sorry i think it's worth hearing my spirit is concerned about the black children of africa who have lost their parents to aids 
My dear friends Bill Eubanks and his wife Janet have been reaching thousands in Zimbabwe with our Black character tracks made by Fred Carter. He is a Black pastor who created about 95% of the art used in our film, Light of the World. Fred is so humble as a pastor that some of his congregation tell me he's more like Jesus than anyone they know. We are in the process of converting 15 of our tracks to Black art characters. Several are already done. Your Big Moment is a This Was Your Life, redrawn for Black ladies and is now available. Fred is working on the others. Here is a tip on, on passing out Black art tracts. Tell people that a Black brother made them. That seems to help them get accepted. His art is beautiful. So is Jack Chick coming out here and saying representation matters? Yes. This and is he's so saying, wild. <clears throat> like in in fundy speak, uh, his congregation tells me he's more like Jesus than anyone they know. That is beyond a stamp of approval on this entire person, not just his artwork. That being said, he credits Carter for the art used in the film Light of the World, which is accurate. He credits him for his tracts. He still does not credit him for the Chick Crusader comics. I also want to note that unless I read right past it, the biography does not mention Fred Carter at all, except in an appendix called Tributes, where people wrote the biographer to say nice things about Chick after his death. Well, the biography was written for an evangelical and like fundamentalist audience. So, mm -hmm. hmm. So here's the thing. If you believe the biographer, Chick was really, really reluctant to even have a biography written about him. He even suggested that the biographer make it into more of a history of Chick publications rather than his life story. Only after Jack Chick's death did David Daniels decide to make the whole book about Chick, and he wrote the book based on the way that Chick had told his life story casually to Daniels over the years that they had worked together. I mean, that would make sense as to why the whole thing is so disorganized. Yes. But it's interesting that he didn't just have him like sit for some six hour sessions or whatever right. to record what he so said. So according hmm. to Daniels, when he was first hired, the first three days that he worked at Chick Publications were just Jack Chick sitting at his desk and telling him his life story. And then he continued to work closely with Chick for years and heard more and more stories. The thing is that Daniels would have certainly known Carter because they worked for Chick Publications at the same time and actually wrote tracks together even after Chick's death. They were currently working together on the same team at the time this biography was being written. So it, that is a very weird admission, for, mm. a, a, admission um, um, absence mm -hmm. from the book then. That is strange right but then again this is a uh a authorized biography published after the subject's death so jack chick didn't get a chance to read through this and approve it or add anything so is this a daniel's problem not a chick problem and he didn't get a chance to say i you know what i am more likely to say that it's more likely to be a daniel's problem than a chick problem because it's clear that chick had no problem with so with with uh uh not just i i mean like with i don't want to say he gave uh, uh uh carter full credit because he didn't but also carter didn't seem like he wanted the, like mm -hmm. it's it's that sort of thing like it didn't seem like and also like the subject matter of the comics themselves like jack right. chick was 
weirdly on board with representation matters, which is the woke agenda. So you heard it here first. Jack Chick is woke. Just, I, yeah, I, I, I definitely I, I think more Daniels than so I Chick. I wanted to make sure that we cover that in full because it is not a cut and dry. Oh, this person was racist or this person was and this other person was. It's not clear. But I want to make sure that we give airtime to Fred Carter, because as much as I disagree with some of the words that he wrote and the things that he illustrated, his artistic talent is uh, just beyond question. Yeah. So coming into the 1970s, Jack Chick was gaining visibility and gaining name recognition in the evangelical movement. However, his associations with shocking fringe and controversial figures threatened to drag him down. <laughs> So let's go take up the offering. When we get back, we're going to talk about some of these notorious associations. That sounds good. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, Sadie here. If this is your first time listening to the Leaving Eden podcast, make sure you go back and check out episode 57. It's a primer episode for new listeners. That episode tells my personal story and gives you all the terms and information that you'll need to know going forward. Also, check out our cult true crime series, The First Family of Fundamentalism, so that you can get the whole cult story. If you like our show, you can support us by joining our Patreon, where we have extended and uncensored episodes, as well as other bonus content available. You can also join in the discussion in our Facebook group, that group is called Eden Exodus. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your worst enemy. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really appreciate your support. Now, back to the show. We are back from our break. We are talking about Jack Chick, his work, uh, his, his history, his life. And now I think we're going to talk about some of his more unsavory associations. I think that's the, the way to put it. So by the early 1970s, Jack Chick, his comics and tracks had helped make him into a huge figure in the evangelical movement, despite the fact that he had largely shied away from the public eye. It was around this time that he got involved with John Todd as well. Um, and we've done previous episodes about John Todd. But as you know from our previous episodes, John Todd was a conspiracy theorist who made claims that he had previously been the grand druid priest of the Illuminati 
and that he had been raised as a member of the Collins witchcraft family and that he was responsible for all of the drug trade in the state of Texas and that he met John F. Kennedy on his yacht after Kennedy had been shot supposedly but that didn't actually happen yeah he he claimed that he met john f kennedy on his yacht in like 1969 1970 and he also claimed that the illuminati were preparing to stage a silent takeover of the united states government in 1980 he also claims that he killed multiple people and that he was bailed out by the u.s government legislators that were on illuminati payroll so that's also fun. I should also point out that John Todd had a pattern of using witchcraft and the occult as a pretense to sexually abuse teenage girls and that he was convicted of being a rapist and sentenced to 30 years in prison and that he died in the mental hospital. And we did a whole episode on in, uh, was it May of 22 or May of 21? May of 22. That's when we did it. So it was like a, about a year ago. John Todd claimed to have been saved out of witchcraft after seeing the film The Cross and the Switchblade and then reading one of Chick's tracts in late 1972. He then claims that he met Jack Chick very soon thereafter. The meeting, he said that he met Chick in 1972, but the meeting at which he said they met didn't happen until 1973, so I don't know. Who knows? John Todd also claims that he was doing like $1,000 worth of like speed and other stimulants every week so i think maybe his recollections on timelines may not be <laughs> the most accurate yeah whether he was lying <laughs> about that or not <laughs> that's the one part of john todd's story that i actually believe that he did more drugs than are known to god see no i that... think he did more drugs <laughs> than an average person but i don't think he did the amount of drugs that he said he did it doesn't really matter based on the stories that john todd told him chick published the comic the broken cross which is the second comic in the crusaders beefy boys for jesus series that comic was published in 1974. todd was presumably off chick's radar for a while because between the years of 1974 and 1976, John Todd, quote unquote, backslid into witchcraft and opened an occult bookstore in Dayton, Ohio, before he was convicted of sexually abusing minor girls as part of initiation rituals for a coven that he was trying to get off the ground, for which he went to prison, which is great, for not enough time, which is bad. At that point, John Todd called Jack Chick to please come bail him out of prison, claiming that the Illuminati was trying to silence him and his testimony. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, that this, this story isn't funny, but it kind of is. Yeah, uh, uh, I mean, here's the thing uh, that I just don't get. Like, I've listened to several hours of John Todd preaching when we were doing our research for that episode. I don't know how Jack Chick could meet this guy in real life and think yes this guy is definitely telling the truth 100 absolutely nothing that john todd says makes any sense whatsoever and if you have any sense about you you will immediately be able to tell that he's either like a pathological liar or he is completely unable to discern fantasy from reality which is coincidentally the thing that got him discharged from the military i also um side note that i didn't plan on going on i would like to point out that the person who was actually committing satanic ritual abuse was also professing to be a christian 
and became the analog version of an influencer, promoting satanic panic conspiracy theories like satanic ritual abuse when he himself was the person actually committing it in real life. I mean, to be fair, I mean, maybe that was just a way of him normalizing the things that he was doing and trying to make an excuse for it Who knows? and trying to be like, oh, well, I'm not responsible for doing this. This is just, I'm just, this is just what we do in the occult. I'm in the occult. This is what we do. Right. Like John Todd just really disgusts me. Bad dude. But let me tell you about, we've talked about him. Let me tell you about another guy with a very similar story. Another guy who Jack Chick met, immediately believed, platformed, and supported, even after he was totally debunked. That's Alberto Rivera. Alberto Rivera, much like Todd, came on to the evangelical Christian scene and said, hey, there are really bad and scary people who are out to get you and destroy Christianity. And I know because I used to be one of those bad and scary people, but now I'm a real Christian like you, and I'm here to warn you about the big, bad, scary people. And all the evangelical Christians in the 70s and 80s were like, Yes, I knew there were big, bad, scary people out to get me. Please tell me everything about their evil, satanic plans. Except for John Todd's grift was claiming that he was a former witch. Uh, Alberto Rivera's grift was telling people that he was a former Catholic Jesuit priest. So I know that Christians, and especially like evangelicals and fundamentalists, love a redemption arc. Like that, I mean, it's, 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 it's kind inherent of our whole to the religion. Field. Yeah. yeah. They love a story of, I was the biggest sinner of them all, but then Jesus changed me. It, it Like, on one hand, it is very much like a story that is mirrored many, many, many times in their religious texts. Also, it plays into the idea that there's nothing that Jesus can't do. But there's also a such thing, I think, as being too much of a sucker and believing in people too strongly. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, sure. uh, I'm hoping that we can circle back and do a full episode on Alberto, maybe towards the end of our Summer of Satan series. That might be fun. So I don't want to give too many spoilers because I definitely want to revisit him at some point. But just to give you an idea of his claims, Alberto claims that he was sent to Catholic seminary at age seven, raised to become a priest, fully educated by the Jesuits and then trained by the Jesuits to go into good Bible-believing churches in America in order to corrupt them so discord hamper their mission in any way possible. This caused me, as like a 12 or 13-year-old fundamentalist teen reading this graphic novel, to think that there was a Jesuit plant in our church and try to figure out who it was. How many people in your church? When you were growing up at that at point, time? when I was 12 or 13, 150, 200. So like Jesuit plant. Oh yeah. I definitely <laughs> thought we had a Jesuit plant in our church. And I was like determined to figure out who it was because I was reading both a lot of Nancy Drew and also this. So you're trying to figure like, who's a man he's unmarried. He's uh... no, because no, because the Jesuits would set him up with a fake wife and children oh to, like children that get given to uh, catholic orphanages this is where they go according to alberto 
That's crazy. And like the woman would be a nun who was undercover pretending to be his wife. And they would all live together in a town and go to an IFB church and like sow discord and spread gossip and like pretend they were go out going out witnessing but not really do it. <laughs> I gotta okay. get my hands on this comic. It's a lot. So so all of like the David <laughs> Hiles stuff, that's clearly just a plant by the by the Jesuits. Dave Hiles, yeah, he might be a Jesuit plant. Yeah. So if, allegedly, <laughs> please don't sue us. We don't have that much money. Eventually, Alberto claims that he defected from the Catholic Church and became a real Christian. And like John Todd, he wanted to make his story known to warn all the good fundamentalists about the scary Jesuits who are undercover in their pews. You got trouble right here in River City. He claimed that the Jesuits were directly responsible for a litany of things, including but not limited to the creation of Islam, <laughs> the Jonestown Massacre, and the assassinations of both Abraham Lincoln and JFK. Notable Catholic. <laughs> Big if true. The, the thing is that like the, Alberto's, so Jack Chick puts out the comic book, Alberto, that's like Alberto's story and makes him seem like the, the, the action hero. Christian Booksellers Association says there is no way that we're going to uh, uh, sell this book in our stores because it's obviously made up. And because it's anti-Catholic material and Christian Booksellers Association wanted to sell to Catholics also. Well, yeah, but also like Jack Chick legitimately quit the Christian Booksellers Association over the fact that they wouldn't sell this book. Right. And they wouldn't sell it due to the fact that it was completely made up. Jack Chick then claimed that the Christian Booksellers Association had been infiltrated by the Jesuits who were trying to silence him. By 1981, several articles came out in major Christian magazines that showed how Alberto Rivera's story could not possibly be true. Alberto produced a lot of documentation supposedly supporting his story. Some of it is believed to be forged. And then the rest of it doesn't fit perfectly with his narrative or his timeline. We'll pick apart the evidence when we talk about Alberto in full. There, There is a lot of it. It's very nitpicky and detailed. It's the kind of stuff that, Sa that Sadie loves to geek out on. Yeah, I'm going to have fun with it, um, but I, I can't start with it now or this episode will never end. This event with the Christian Booksellers Association really seems to have turned the tide on Chick's anti-Catholic sentiment. In fact, the author of You Don't Know Jack spends several chapters dealing with this controversy. He is still trying to prove, even 20 years after Rivera's death, when Chick himself was also dead, that Alberto's story was true. And the reason that this is such a big deal to David W. Daniels, who wrote this book, is that he was anti-Jack Chick for years because he read some of these articles in 1980, 1981 that disprove Alberto's story and he believed them. And then later on, he was reconvinced that Alberto's story was true. And then it completely clutters up this already confusing biography. Are we going to... Um talk about the evidence that uh daniels says are we going to talk about that now or are we going to save that for the rivera episode we're going to save that for when we actually talk about alberto it's like immigration documents from different countries and supposed letters from priests and bishops that support 
Alberto, this supposed nun who came forward and said Alberto's story is true. There's some documentation on Alberto's sister and like where she did or didn't live. It's a lot. So we're going to get into it in another episode. But it's not just like, trust me, bro. The evidence that Jack Chick had at the time of making the comic in 1980 was literally just trust me, bro. Like, just like his evidence for the quote unquote fact that some guy was eating fingers on the side of a highway in California was John Todd saying, trust me, bro. You sent me a chronological list of every Chick tract and comic ever published, and I may have found something interesting when I looked at that list. Shoot. There are 12 tracts listed on the Chick Publications webpage under the category Catholicism, as well as one additional Catholic tract that I noticed from reading that list that is not listed on the Chick Publications webpage. The I'm going to just read you the titles of these comics and the years that they were published. I want to see if you pick up what I'm putting down here. The first one was called My Name in the Vatican, question mark, and was published in 1980. Then in 1981, Are Roman Catholics Christians? In 1987, Why is Mary Crying? In 1988, The Death Cookie. Is that the the communion wafer? Yeah, that's one of the best known anti-Catholic tracks that Chick did. Uh, In 1994, Last Rites. In 1999, Murph. In 2003, Man in Black. In 2009, Is There Another Christ? And Papa. In 2011, The Awful Truth. In 2012, Mama's Girls. And in 2013, a tract entitled Twin Towers, which surprisingly does not blame the Catholic Church for 9-11, but does carry an image of the Twin Towers on the cover as clickbait. He also put out a tract called Who Cares with a picture of 9-11 on the front. Yeah. Which is... Rough. And then then the final one is called Mary's Kids and was published in 2014. But the earliest one is like 80-81. The earliest one is published in 1980. And they've been consistently coming since then. So he didn't get into his whole anti-Catholic bent until like the 80s when he got involved with Rivera. Exactly. Now, Chick wasn't pro-Catholic before the Rivera story came out. He had negative experiences with his mother's side of the family, who were Catholics, and he believed the usual evangelical Protestant fundamentalist type stuff about Catholics being wrong and their idol worshippers, and they might not even go to heaven, they might not be Christian enough to get into heaven. But Rivera hugely influenced his actual anti-Catholic sentiment. Rivera turned him on to a universe of Catholic conspiracy theories and inspired dozens of tracts and comic books. So what's the deal? Is he just gullible? Or because he's been like he's been gotten by the same scam twice now. He got got by mm-hmm. John Todd and he got got by Alberto Rivera. It's like I don't know, like it, it. It's like did he have to keep making these anti-Catholic tracts because he got taken by like three different Nigerian prince scams? What's going on here? Is because <laughs> he's still making them in 2013, 24. Like so, I think Chick had a predetermined view about life. He believed we're in the last days. There are people who are out to get the real Christians and lead others away leading up to the rapture. That general mindset is just not uncommon among fundamentalists. But I think when Chick saw 
Todd's claims or Rivera's claims, he saw what he wanted to see and then he interpreted all other evidence as being in support of his claims. And you might call that gullible. So when John Todd called him from jail and said that he had been falsely accused of sexual assault because the Illuminati wanted to shut him up, Jack Chick said, yeah, that sounds like something the Illuminati would do. Completely discounting that everything he knows about the Illuminati comes from John Todd and other completely unreliable sources like Mike Warnke. Because if you, if you believe, if somebody tells you the entire world, the government, the judicial system, the criminal justice system is all run by the Illuminati, and you believe that and internalize that and then start to make a career built on preaching that, and then somebody who is talking about the supposed Illuminati all the time goes to jail and they call you and say the Illuminati had me put in jail, it's just more proof for what you already believe. Or when Alberto Rivera got cancer in the late 90s and told everyone that he had been poisoned by the Jesuits with a drug that causes you to get cancer and die, that made perfect sense to John to Jack Chick because, yeah, that sounds like something that the Jesuits that you told me about would do. And this, this leads right back into Chick's reclusiveness also because in his mind, they had already got two of his close friends and sources, Todd and Rivera. Like, oh, they got John Todd. They got him put in prison forever. Now, you know, they've shut him up and he can't preach about the Illuminati anymore. And oh, they got Rivera too. They gave him, the Jesuits gave him cancer and now he can't go tell the truth anymore. So this fed Chick's belief that people were undercover agents who were coming to get him. I think it's also possible, though, that his conspiratorial beliefs made him a lot of money, and maybe that was an additional reason to continue believing them. Yeah. See, th this is kind of what I don't get. Because in the LA Magazine article, um, which is one of our, our primary, like, our, our most used sources for this episode, because there really just isn't a lot out about Jack Chick. Robert Ito, who's the, the author of the article, claims that Jack Chick's neighbors weren't close with him, but they saw him like out and about and, you know, he'd go grocery shopping and he'd have conversations with him. Me personally, if I were convinced that the Catholic Church was going to send a goon squad after me or, or poison me and give me cancer, I wouldn't be living in like Rancho Cucamonga, which if like if you don't know, that's a city in California that's between like L.A. and San Bernardino. It'd be like, I I mean, I would be in like a bunker in the middle of nowhere in a state where they let like civilians own rocket launchers. I'd be in like <laughs> Idaho or something like. I've also linked an article from a journalist writing for Catholic Answers who met Chick in person. Interesting. The film premiere. Yeah, I referenced that movie that Fred Carter did the art for, Light of the World. He The film premiere for that, Chick showed up. So this journalist from Catholic Answers went because Chick and Catholic Answers have gone back and forth in publications for literal years. It, it was like Chick's biggest lifelong beef. With Catholic Answers? With, with like a Catholic magazine? Yeah. And, and website. <sighs> so this guy, he mentions, like Chick asks him, do you go to church? He goes, yeah, I'm a Catholic. And Chick's response is, oh, I love Catholics. Which, of course, is Christianese for like, I love you, so I want to save you from your sins and your delusions. Yeah, this is. Hmm. But the guy mentions he's Catholic, and it and it's not like hmm. Chick walks away from him 
or is rude to him, he he gives him this like very polished fake evangelical niceness, even after he tells him that he works for Catholic Answers. Once he mentions he's Catholic, Chick does say, well, the Pope is probably going to have this movie by tomorrow. Someone's probably here at the premiere to pick it up and take him a copy. <laughs> so he just like goes off on this guy in a very nice tone of voice about how the Pope has him on a watch list. And he says like he's like poking fun at the journalist. I've linked this article if you want more nuance of how this is being written about. But he's he's saying things like that very, very lightly imply that this journalist is a, you know, Catholic spy who's sent there to get him. But he but he's still this veneer of extremely nice on top of that. So, But he was serious about his like joking. He was like joking about these allegations, but he wasn't joking. Yeah. And he was absolutely serious. Like, oh, yeah, somebody's going to pick up a copy of this movie and take it to the Pope because the Pope has me on a personal watch list. See, this is weird to me. Like, that's just a fact to him. <laughs> yeah, because like Jack Chick, I mean, I guess Jack Chick is big time when it comes to evangelicals and stuff. But how many people do you think actually saw this movie that Fred Carter was involved with making? Like, I, I don't like maybe the. I have no idea. Like there are when we were researching about. I think it's on YouTube. Yeah. So it's a movie that's on YouTube. OK. Like because when we were researching about the passion of the Christ and we were talking about like there was uh, when I was doing the research about that, they showed the passion of the Christ to um, whoever was the pope at the time when it came out. I don't know if, if it was still John Paul II at that time or if it was Pope Benedict at that time. Um, cause there, those two, I think the movie came out within a few years of Pope John Paul's death, but it's, I mean, it's just like, it's like, I get why the Pope would see the passion of the Christ, but like some, like, I don't want to say podunk, but like, it's not, a um, let me send you, let me send you the poster for this movie. Okay. Oh, it's actually, it's the DVD cover. I'm just sending you the IMDb page. It'll show, it'll show you the, the DVD cover. Okay because like I, I it's like the the title for those who are not looking at this right now the title of the film on the cover is it's like a knockoff papyrus font <laughs> like not even the real papyrus font yeah it doesn't look incredibly professional it looks like dare i say it looks like something that would be it it's it's very like instructional dvd that comes with your new power tools <laughs> aesthetic you know what i'm saying yeah like back like if if you were alive in the mid 2000s very much like if you bought like a table saw or something it would come with a dvd that would say watch this dvd like like that's what the cover looks like to me is is very like with the diagonal like thing in the in, in the corner with the picture of the guy up there you see what i'm saying like oh with, with yes. the sign language because there's a sign language interpreter it, there's a little picture of the guy who's doing sign language interpreting and that's like the guy yeah. who's showing you how to use your new table saw is like my uh <laughs> black and decker with master work woodworker john howard <laughs> So she had a dovetail a drawer. 
Yeah, and the way that he presents himself to this reporter from Catholic Answers and also to the entire world is even his closest associates is that he is dead serious in his belief that the Pope is personally out to get him. But also he's joking around with this journalist. He doesn't have any security guards. He doesn't protect himself beyond denying the journalist any pictures of him and denying the journalist a tour of the Chick Publications offices. So did he really believe that the largest and most powerful single religious institution in the world who had successfully in infiltrated Christianity as a whole, as well as most world governments, and which controlled its members completely and employed spies across the world was trying to do away with him? I don't know. Like his his message is unusually consistent for a person who doesn't believe their own message but his actions are not consistent with a person who believes their own message in every case so you've known people in your life that were like extremely paranoid and delusional i think everybody has i think everybody with with some empathy has yeah how many of those people that were like the level of paranoid and delusional that chick is claiming to be were able to i don't want to say hold their lives but like like go like have a successful career and have like a successful xyz thing that they were doing and able to like essentially like like and and their lives weren't just like totally falling apart due to their level of of paranoia and and delusion well, their lives weren't run by their level of paranoia and delusion. Yet not, huh. not many. And I don't want to come across as like ableist in the in the the way that I'm describing that because I know that a lot of people like we've all known those people and they um and some of them maybe they're schizophrenic or maybe they're um and there's underlying issues, right? There, it's it's poverty or it's. Uh, a lack of education that didn't allow them to see bad information coming their way that made them paranoid and delusional or it's underlying mental health issues like there's layers and layers of reasons that a person can be that way or just really bad luck in their life like you've just had enough bad happen to you that you start to think that the world is out to get you and none of that is shame worthy but a lot of times like once a person gets to that level it kind of eats their life Usually, if it's the kind of thing where enough bad stuff has happened to somebody personally that they think the whole world is out to get them, in my experience, that tends to be more of like a temporary thing where they have like th this mindset or this idea that the world is out to get them more generally. And it's not that XYZ person is specifically trying to come and get me. The Catholic Church is specifically trying right. to come and get me. No, it, it's certainly interesting that the missing link though is that none of the people that we have known who were personally paranoid or delusional people made an entire career out of their specific fears or delusions and there are people who have had you know their podcasts purchased by spotify <laughs> who in modern times have made a career out of their own paranoia and delusions either that or they're just acting in bad faith and they're grifters which right Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. So I want to, let me pull in a couple other stories from the biography because I have a few examples of how real events in Chick's life not only inspired his comics, but also may have fed his conspiratorial way of thinking. Okay. Jack Chick had only one child a daughter named Carol. Chick's wife, Lola, became ill when Carol was only two years old with an unspecified illness, but the book tells us that that she was very severely sick for the rest of her life from the time her daughter was two until the time of her death. Jack was her primary caretaker until her death. According to the biography, Carol was bullied as a teenager because of her dad's track ministry. She met a neighbor down the street who was a worthy matron of the Eastern Star and into witchcraft. Jack and his biographer assume that this woman was into witchcraft because of her Masonic involvement, which is what Eastern Star is. Chick would come home from a long day making anti-Catholic propaganda and find items buried or burned in the backyard from the supposed witchcraft rituals that Carol and this neighbor lady were doing. Masonic sidebar, I looked up the Eastern Star. It's a service organization for women who are related to men who are Masons. It is not a secret society, not even as secretive as the Masons are. There are typical initiation right sort of things, but you can even find some of those online, which is not, it's not nearly as easy to do to find Masonic rites online. But the photo of the worthy matron for the Portland area is on the Portland area Eastern Star website, and she actually looks like a very nice lady. (laughs) But because this neighbor was affiliated with the Masons, Jack Chick immediately conflated that with witchcraft and decided that whatever his daughter was doing was witchcraft. Carol got married, her first husband got her pregnant, and then demanded that she have an abortion. Her second husband was the son of a Jewish movie producer. Oh, God. And, yeah, nope, nope, some poor Jewish guy had to spend time with Jack Chick. Uh, I'm going to quote from the book. Jack had tried to win this precious Jewish... This guy did not write to be read. Jack had tried to win this precious Jewish man to his own messiah. 
but he was not interested. Oh, man. <sighs> so, yeah, Jack Chick ran off the second husband by being anti-Semitic. Yeah, I felt that. I felt that in my soul, man. That's... <laughs> Uh, so the movie producer's son dumped her presumably because of jack chick but we don't really know and then carol ended up with this other guy who kind of whisked her away out of state and ran up all her credit cards jack tracked her down from her credit card statements and went to rescue her I'm going to read this the way that it's told in the book. The book implies that she was involved. Uh, she was potentially being sex trafficked. So I wanted to give the audience a heads up. The book implies this without much evidence, but it is the implication. So here's the quote. She had been given chemical cocktails and was in a wheelchair. Her body had been destroyed. Jack took her frail body in his arms back home and cared for her and got nurses for her. I can't even tell you what this bad boy was planning to do with her. By the way, Jack was powerless to prosecute that evil man because he had immunity as an FBI informant. But that's another story. That story about him having immunity for being an FBI informant does not get told in this biography and is never mentioned again. Wow. Yeah. That's... See, I, I, but the thing that I'm wondering about this is that basically this book was written based off of just this guy's recollections of things that Jack Chick had told him about his life throughout his life, just like in casual conversations that they'd had together. Yeah, like over 20 years or something of them working together. So there wasn't like, and there wasn't like, a, okay, sit down and clarify. What was this guy's name? What were the details of this XYZ thing that happened? Let me research this to make sure that everything is true. Like, this is very much just like a, um, I mean, much like a chick tract. It's mu like, it is much like a chick tract. It's very, the source is very much just like, trust me, bro. And I'm not saying that this like couldn't have happened because it's entirely plausible that this sort of thing could have happened, but also like just. There's no, they don't tell us what state she was taken to. They don't take, tell us what was bought on the credit cards. That's, that's important information. And then he, he says, I can't even tell you what this bad boy was planning to do with her. And you could read that as, I know what he was planning on doing to her, but I cannot bear to write it. Or you can read that as, I do not know what he was planning to do with her. And it's ambiguous. I don't know. Like if I feel like if this story or if this book was being written now and, and there was like an actual editor involved in this story. Yes. They, they <laughs> if would, there was any editing at all. If there was any editing at all of all the the book would be completely different but like evangelical i guess the the fundies don't need editor they just let the holy spirit speak through them the holy spirit didn't have an editor the bible didn't have an editor um god's word doesn't have an editor so you don't need an editor for your uh meandering stories i don't know it's it's just it's highly suspicious to me it is so when the book says she had been given a chemical cocktail i think they're referencing that she was possibly sex trafficked or going to be i think that's what he's trying to say but that is not quite sufficient evidence that's obvi obviously sufficient evidence that if she was given drugs without her consent that is clearly sufficient evidence that some kind of abuse and bad things were happening to her I don't, this whole passage is, is is way too ambiguous and i'm really sorry for whatever happened to carol yeah um, but this he thinks he's being clear and he is not it's also like it's very much i mean you speak christianese 
and you yeah, can't and tell I can't what the translate f- this like there because there i mean it just seems like there's more just like he's just kind of like throwing spaghetti at a wall as like bad things that can happen with regards to a person given chemical cocktails um yeah there's wheelchair injury credit cards like it's like dave ramsey plus like dare plus you know like uh uh, if you're disabled live your life for jesus and that's your special gift or whatever to evangelize like it's 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 like a a a a venn diagram of those three things and then whatever's in the middle it's just like a big question mark it's not like this book shies away from intimacy that i would even call over familiarity there is another passage that i've chosen not to go into depth on in this episode where it talks about some medical abuse that happened to chick's wife in the later years of her illness and that passage was so like raw and i didn't feel right reading that about a lady that i'd never met so i am not even choosing to share it with our audience because i felt like i was way intruding into the medical information of somebody that i do not know and also this book was published after jack chick died but like very shortly after he died this is the kind of thing like he died and David W. Daniels sat down at a typewriter and typed it all in like four days and then it went to print. This is very much like uh, it, it reminds me of J-Rod live streaming a funeral. It, it, the Ooh. level of like hey, that's that's an analogy. You see that comparison that I'm making, though, is just like or like funeral for the sister's legs level yeah. stuff. So know. Chick died on October 23rd, 2016, and this book is copyright 2017. So it is very much a a rush job. Man, no wonder it's so disorganized. Yeah, um, exactly. He just he wrote whatever came to mind and then, and then didn't think maybe I should put this in any kind of order. So whatever happened to Carol was bad, and I'm genuinely sorry about it. I just don't know if Jack Chick really knew what happened to Carol. But she never fully recovered from whatever it was that she went through. And she died in 2001 at the age of 47 or 49. It doesn't give her date of birth in this book because nothing is organized or chronological. But I think this whole story of Carol is a big puzzle piece. It's an example of how Jack's life may have influenced his comics. So Carol was born in 1953 or 54. So she would have been 15 years old in 19 about 15, 16 in 1970, Bewitched, which is the Jello Ashley comic, was published in 1970. So is it possible that Chick wrote this comic to try to convert his teenage daughter out of her supposed witchcraft endeavors? That's very interesting. I think it also may have had an influence on his reclusiveness. Hmm. In that, like, so because if you're a fundamentalist minister and you're successful, and it comes out that your uh, your your daughter is involved with masons and the witchcraft and the occult, that's disqualifying, right? Like, if if you're a minister and your daughter is involved is getting involved if, in that stuff, if he like were a pastor, nose, yes, but he was never yeah. a pastor, right? It's a loophole. Yeah, and I mean, it comes out that your daughter is involved with and and you know she's having abortions and she's dating unsaved men those are all things that can negatively affect your career even if you're not like a, a pastor 
even if you have a ministry, but you're not a pastor. Those are all things that can negatively affect your career because they negatively affect your reputation. Because if you're really preaching the right things, then your whole life will be in order. And you're, if you're really living the thing, then your whole life will be in order. Right? Am, am I getting that right? Yeah, definitely. Like it's, it, uh, if you are doing everything right, then either God is blessing you or he is allowing the devil to tempt you like Job. Yeah. But generally, if everything's going right for somebody, the first thing you look to is, well, is it, are they doing everything right? Is, is this God's blessing on their life? Especially if someone is financially doing well, it's, oh, that's God's, God's blessing on their life. See, I think that it's also possible that his relationship with his daughter maybe was fractured by his career as a fundamentalist propaganda manufacturer and that maybe he didn't know how to relate to his daughter and this caused her like and, and possibly this caused her to get into some difficult situations and so rather than look at his own life and see what he could have done to prevent this and and how he could have better like related to her or how he could change going forward to 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 try to repair that relationship he went really hard into blaming outside forces and just allowed himself to be consumed by that in that he would believe pretty much anything that anybody told him like involved with any of that stuff so it's a lot easier to because it's a lot easier to deal with a personal tragedy if you can contextualize it in a grand battle between good and evil rather than just accepting that sometimes really bad happens and you have to deal with that whatever way you can and there's no like divine justice saying you're good only good things will happen to you you're bad only bad things will happen to you yeah his fundamentalism and his zeal may well have broken that relationship with his daughter she was bullied for him and then he ran off her second husband which seems like the best guy she was ever involved with and if the implications of sex trafficking are accurate that's a terrible thing to happen to a person that's a terrible thing for a parent to go through with their child. That's heartbreaking all around. But it seems like it would be a lot easier for Chick to cope with this terrible thing happening to his child if it were the Illuminati or the witches or the Jesuits that got a hold of her, rather than him having to confront sometimes bad things just happen to people and maybe God isn't supernaturally protecting me from every bad thing that could ever happen to me. Yeah, and also with the the aspect of sex trafficking being such a huge part of whatever the Illuminati were doing with their satanic rituals, like it all just kind of got like warped into one. Like this is how they're attacking my life, and therefore, yeah. like because I mean, because how many people have we heard from that were raised in fundamentalism and then they tried to get out and they had like once they like got out of fundamentalism and once they were like outside of the rules of fundamentalism, they had zero ability to discern what was a safer and unsafe situation and they ended up either being like a victim of sex trafficking or they were stuck in an abusive relationship or you know some other or they went really hard into substance abuse disorders or something like that just because they they're like i don't know what's i don't know what is like safe or unsafe i don't know what's healthy or unhealthy for me personally because i don't have the rules anymore yes and it's um it's almost like the stages of moral development also that we were talking about with Shoshana. Like they get out from under, do it because you'll be punished if you don't do it. And they get into that do it because it feels good stage. 
and they have no idea how to handle it because they didn't go through the do it feels good stage at an appropriate time of their life. So that's that's another totally viable theory. I, I think when we just look at all of this evidence, in 1953, he started writing The Times Have Changed comic, and he was totally fine with his work being linked to crystal balls and Ouija boards and working in close partnership with a Catholic. And then he met John Todd, and he had tension with his only child. And after those things happened, he became more and more paranoid of witchcraft and Satanism. And then he met Alberto Rivera and became very fearful and hateful of Catholics, but also of other groups of people that Rivera tied into his own little conspiracy theory, including Muslims. Everybody is vulnerable to confirmation bias. And I think not that Jack Chick was some kind of innocent person who accidentally stumbled into being one of the best known hate preachers of all time, but I think confirmation bias may have played a major part. It doesn't make sense why someone who originally wanted to be a famous actor and then wanted to be a famous cartoonist would become a recluse in their later years if they didn't truly think that someone was after them. The beginning of his life and the end of his life don't make sense together. Another thing that doesn't add up is the extended descriptions of Chick in his biography as a kind, loving, gentle man, and not just to people he liked or people that he was that, that were useful to him. There was an entire story about a um, supposedly ex-gay person who had gone through conversion therapy and wanted to mm. work for Chick, and Chick gave him a job, was super kind to him, and then he ended up uh, getting a boyfriend and hitting the road and leaving to go to Alaska, which was probably a good decision on that guy's <laughs> seems like he did a Ooh. smart thing for himself um and Live your stole, best life, buddy. yeah but he stole one of chick's cars which not quite so cool and chick was like merciful even though he had stolen the car and didn't press charges there was also an entire chapter about the pets that chick had throughout his life and like how much he loved them and he even put little caricatures of them into some of his tracts and comics so and that doesn't track well with someone who is spreading anti-Semitism, spreading Islamophobia, but spreading homophobia, spreading so many different phobias, and just generally being a complete print. But like the theory that we're working with is that all of these things that he was spreading were because of like things going on in his personal life. That That's makes sense to me. Men will literally start the satanic panic instead of going to therapy. <laughs> True, though. So I do I do want to like sidebar here. <laughs> the pet chapter is the last chapter of the biography, and it's one of the, the longest chapters because there is absolutely no rhyme or reason or flow of information in this book. And being a fundy biography and being a chick biography, of course, it ends like every fundy biography does with the plan of salvation and a heavily, heavily capitalized, bolded and italicized plea for any lost readers to get saved. But it's in the same chapter as all like his dead pets who he loved. It's extremely odd. It's extremely <laughs> odd. So I, it's not that I would, this yeah. biography is one person's way of seeing Jack Chick. So I wouldn't want to 
take its word for, oh, he was such a kind and generous and loving man, because there would there are people who would say that about some of the worst monsters in history. I would, however, take the word of several journalists who met him even as they were pushing back on his beliefs and bugging him for interviews. There's no record of Chick going off on somebody the way that people do in his comics and just being a jerk. But this is the man whose work is so hateful that it's banned in Canada. This is the man whose work is so hateful that even some Christians would pick it up and throw it away if they saw it in public to try to protect other people from seeing that kind of hatred. This is the man whose work gave an entire generation and a half of fundamentalist kids nightmares, anxiety, paranoia, and taught racism and homophobia and other ills. So how did how does the man who professed a genuine desire to evangelize the world and professed a genu genuine love for people and said such kind words about his collaborators also publish so many horrible racial stereotypes? I've linked one tract that I don't think I had ever seen before. It's called Crazy Wolf, and it is literally front page to back page stereotypes about Native American people. Ooh. It is actually kind of stomach turning. It may be one of the most racist chick tracks that I've seen. So how do mm. we like how is do that one we... still in print or not? It's in print. Woo. Available on the on the Chick Comics website. There is a link in the source post. Well, I mean, it, according to Brittany Dawn, you can't cancel the word of God, so it's <laughs> but you can sue it out of existence. Man, uh, you know. It's, it's interesting, I think, to try to reconcile or analyze his life. I knew somebody who found out after their grandparents died that they, they, they thought they were, they're like, oh, yeah, my family is Argentine, Argentinian. Mm -hmm. And after their grandparents died, they, and like they, they were Argentinian and they grew up speaking German. And after their grandparents died, they kind of went into an existential crisis because they found out that their grandparents had been Nazis living in exile, but they had always seen their grandparents as like very kind and loving and, and gentle mm -hmm. people. I don't Cause like people can be more than one thing. It's like, it's it. And it's just because, just because somebody seems some way on the surface doesn't mean that they haven't like done something heinous. Like I've known people that I liked on a personal level and then I like read their backlog of Reddit posts and it's like full on Gamergate or like Ben Shapiro repost or something like that. I mean, another example, like I would like when I was in college, one time I made friends with a dude and he seemed really nice. And then one of my other friends told me that he had sexually assaulted one of her sorority sisters. And I was like, yeah. you know, like, I mean, this like sometimes you just True. don't know with people when you meet them and you can hang out with them and you literally just don't know that's so true people can have two sets of beliefs or practice things that don't line up with their beliefs for a lot of reasons they might do it for social acceptance or for their own benefit or because they're blind to the discrepancy between what they believe and what they do so i bring up that whole discrepancy for a couple reasons. First, I think it's always a good idea for people to examine those parts of themselves and be willing to go a little deeper and even change our behaviors when they don't line up with our beliefs. Yeah, and I also want to 
and maybe this is a bit anecdotal for me to point it out. Um, but I have experience with some people espousing really reactionary or extreme religious beliefs that they themselves don't actually live either as like insurance or as like where, or, or as sort of a thing where they feel really insecure about their own morality and the thing. And these are like things that they're striving for and like things that they think are really important that they haven't achieved yet. So they're, so they're trying to, to push that also on other people so that other people can see the thing that they're, that they're working to achieve. Oh, like I feel bad about myself because I haven't achieved this particular goal. So I'm going to go around saying that everybody should be working hard to achieve this particular goal. So that people will, yeah, to, to build themselves up for even trying that so that people will be mm -hmm. like, I recognize what you're going for and what you're trying to do. And I think that's good. Or either that or they'll, they'll espouse these kinds of beliefs almost as like insurance. I don't know. Like it's, 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 it's kind of like it, I don't know what it is I see here, but it's just another sort of inconsistent. You, you, you get what I'm saying, though, right? I think so. Like, because accor according to the article um, that we read from from LA Magazine, um, the the Edo article, Chick would give out tracts to like neighborhood kids, which is super weird considering the content of the tracts. Which is, I yeah. think, it's it's very creepy indoctrination behavior because we've all known people who have what i would consider hateful beliefs but they were okay interpersonally but in the case of somebody like jack chick it's obvious that this is like much more dangerous than if he were just like a bigot in the conspiracy theorist and he were also a jerk to everyone because then he wouldn't have been able to be so successful and he wouldn't have been able to like slide under yeah. the radar right yeah there's not perfect evidence for him being a true believer but there is a lot of evidence for him being a true believer the question I think this entire story brings us to is how does someone who seemed to be such a typical person earlier in his life and seem to be a generally moral and loving person throughout his life end up being a true believer in some of the most vile and harmful conspiracy theories that exist? We can call him gullible. I don't have a problem with that. I mean, he believed two of the greatest Christian grifters of the 20th century and supported them even when the truth of their grifting and lies were exposed. And we can say he fell for confirmation bias. I don't have a problem with that either. That's a natural human mistake. But how I, I think it's interesting to ask ourselves, how does a seemingly good person buy into that kind of harmful conspiracy? Yeah, at this point, I don't even know if I'd call him a grifter because I think that grifters, right? Because because when I think of a grifter, I think of all of, like the fundamentalist pastors who use like the scare tactics and and like the cult tactics that were based around the things that Chick was writing and these clearly nut job theories. But like he's not the one who is like grifting all of the money from. You know what I'm saying? Like I mean, he's he's yeah. getting successful from it, but he's not the one who's like using these scare tactics to try and keep people in line and he's not the one who's like being coercive towards other people yeah i i wouldn't call chick a grifter rivera and todd were grifters i wonder if we could call chick a cautionary tale actually i think maybe he can be a lesson to all of us about watching out for predetermined conclusions and confirmation bias i think Maybe more than anything, he's a lesson to all of us about how horribly dangerous ideas and conspiracy theories that are 
harmful in real life can spread in a way that seems as simple and innocent as a 24-page cartoon booklet. Yeah, I think more than a grifter, what I would call him is maybe like even a little bit of a mark. But like he was the rare mark that didn't end up totally getting fleeced because his creative ability was useful to the people who were taking advantage. I mean, like I'm I'm the thing I'm thinking about, like John Todd called him after backsliding into the occult again and said, Hey Jack, I need help. I've been doing the Satanism and sex thing again. And Jack Chick doesn't see from this that John Todd is clearly a total charlatan. No. And did Chick bail him out because Chick wanted more of his of Todd's story? to bolster Chick's comic sales and make him an even bigger peddler of conspiracy theory? Or did Chick bail him out because he thought he was a brother in Christ who had fallen on hard times? Those are the answers that we are just not going to get from Chick's story. I had spent my childhood reading these Chick tracks. I wasn't allowed to watch scary movies or read Goosebumps. These tracks were that for me. I lost sleep over Jello Ashley and the guy eating fingers on the side of the road and many other graphic and gruesome images that Jack Chick gifted me with. I, I think the real horror is that the comics just keep on coming and that they keep on finding other people like Jack Chick. Whatever it was that was going on with this guy that made him so susceptible to conspiracy theories and so susceptible to grifting and lies, there are people out there like him who are the perfect audience for the conspiracy theories that Chick himself peddled and published. And those people will continue to digest and internalize and spread those conspiracy theories and his toxic theology to another generation. And I think that's what's actually terrifying about Chick comics. I think that's why so many of us who were raised with him have such a visceral reaction when we see one that's i mean that's interesting for me to think about that's also kind of like if i could make any piece of documentary content i would want to make like a satanic panic doc you know what i'm saying like i would want to start mm -hmm. at the i'd like start with the book of revelations and biblical literalism and like say how does that apply to medieval blood libel how does that how does like the literal interpretation of the book of revelations play into the protocols of the elders of zion and how does that go from there to nazism and there to mccarthyism and there to the satanic panic and then from there to QAnon? that's what i would want to like if there's anything that i could because i th like that's so central to all of it to like everything that we ever talk about on this show and those people who are believing that yeah yeah, and Jack Chick is a crucial piece of that very large puzzle. As little as we know about him, we certainly know that much. Just to button this up, Jack Chick died in 2016, but his ministry has long outlived him. Fred Carter just recently died in May of 2022, and he was creating material for Chick publications up until his death. David W. Daniels seems to be at the helm of Chick publications, in classic Chick publication style, they are not really giving us any kind of organizational information. Uh, Chick has recently, Chick Publications has recently published a tract called Trust the Science, in which a scientist is hyping up carbon dating 
when a black female coworker stands up to him, debunks carbon dating, talks about Jesus, and everybody in the room gets saved. The scientist <laughs> tries to complain to his boss only to discover that the black woman who just evangelized everyone in the room is his boss. I don't know. It's 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 kind of an okay twist, like points for diversity, except for everything else about this sucks. Are they trying to like girl boss the Yeah. <laughs> I mean <laughs> look, points for portraying black women in positions of power. You do you, you do get a point, but also yeah. everything else about it is awful. But even when they're uh putting black women in positions of power, she's still like a stooge for the Christian patriarchy. Yeah. Um But she's by far the good guy in this comic, so I guess. I, but also the title of the tract is Trust the Science, which is a clickbaity tract intended to attract people who have strong opinions about vaccines. I read this tract. I mean, they don't really debunk carbon dating. It's they just somebody just says, yeah, carbon dating is made up. Right. I was using debunk in the fundamentalist sense, which means saying something isn't true because of Jesus. My point is, though, his ministry is still out there. It's still seeking out vulnerable minds and it's still publishing articles online with extremely reactionary titles like a recent article from about a month ago uh trigger warning for transphobia the article title is even women inmates are not safe from transgenders mm. yikes it's more than chick was a bad hateful guy like, I, I got into this episode and I thought, oh, Chick was a bad, hateful guy. And I think it's so much more than that. It's more than, well, his ideas were dangerous, but he's dead now. For me, the conclusion of this one is more like Jack Chick could have potential, like there could have been many more people like him. There are many more people like him. He got infected by bad information and confirmation bias, and his talents put him in a unique position to attract and find everyone else like him. And he's dead now, but these ideas live on far beyond his lifespan. His ideas are not dead. This isn't a done deal. And that's terrifying. And the other thing I'm thinking, like, because he wasn't the one that was coming up with conspiracies. He was just the one who was platforming them, and he wasn't the first one to platform them he was just more successful at it it's, yeah hmm. he certainly had hateful and harmful beliefs but i don't think that's the point i think the point is he was uniquely susceptible to hateful and harmful beliefs and uniquely positioned to spread them to others yeah so um i think that's pretty much what we've got for today um, that's, I think, the end of our episode for today. Next week. So next week, we are revisiting our old friend, Bob Larson. I feel like we would be remiss to not <laughs> spend some time with him during the Summer of Satan. Uh, I have got a copy of a book that he wrote about rock music. And I think that's going to be a fun little read. Do you mean rock and or roll music? Rock and or roll. <laughs> It's the new expanded edition. If you like our show, if you're a fan of our show, make sure that you check out our social media. Um, social media is uh, Leaving Eden Podcast on uh, Facebook and Instagram and uh, TikTok. Join our Facebook group. 
which is facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus. We've got some new merch out. You can still buy all of our pride merch. We're just going to leave that up and we're just going to keep donating the profits from that merch. Uh, uh, just in in perpetuity if you buy pride merch that goes to a good cause we've also got summer of satan merch up so you'll want to check that out as well um you can join our facebook i said the facebook group you can join our subreddit reddit.com slash r slash eden exodus sadie your socials you can follow me on instagram at sadie carpenter music on twitter at hell yeah sadie and on tiktok at sadie carpenter one and you can follow me on Instagram at G-A-V-R-I-E-L-H-A-C-O-H-E-N. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. You guys have a great Thankful I decided to change